Good morning, First Press Trenton. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, just want to say thank you uh, to Pastor Dave. I know he's out ill, so prayers with him as he uh, seeks to get better. And uh, sending gratitude to my wife and three children. Uh, she was on her way back to Memphis from uh, Arkansas, going to go spend some time with her family. So I appreciate her perseverance uh, to deal with the three kids while I'm away. Um, <laughs> But I am grateful to come here and to worship with you guys and also to, uh, to preach God's word. And so our text this morning comes from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. But before we dive into our text, I want to submit a question to you. Who or what is motivating you to obey and live for God? As you think about that question, who or what is your primary motivator? To obey God. And as we consider that question, let us now turn our attention to the reading of God's word from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are the sovereign king who rule and reigns, that you have been so kind and gracious to come low, to identify with us, and to endure a life ultimately to the cross for the sake of of our sins, so that we may become the righteousness of God. So we ask that you will prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, that we may receive from your living and active transformative word. And may we not just be hearers of the word, but we also may be doers of the word for your glory. And it's in Christ that we pray. And all God's people said together, amen and amen. I heard of a story of a husband who had a list. And, and this list, it, it wasn't a grocery list. It wasn't a personal to-do list. But this list that this husband carried around, it was a list of 25 things he wanted his wife to do in order to be a good wife to him. A little controversial. Just hang with me. He would carry around this list and he would read off this list various duties. Cleaning, check. Cooking, check. Caring for kids, check. Dressing, check. And as you can imagine, for the wife, this was pretty miserable. I mean, she had higher hopes for her, her marriage. She didn't want to be tied to some list of performance. This wasn't what she was expecting for her relationship. And the husband would go so far, at the end of the day, he would tally up her points and read them off to her. Let's see, cleaning, 24 out of 25. Uh, you're cooking, uh, 22 and a half out of 25. 
care for the kids. 20, 25 out of 25, you did a really good job with that. After a number of years, the husband died. As you can imagine, for this wife, there was a sense of relief. <laughs> a burden was lifted from this wife because she wasn't tied to a list anymore. Years would go by, and she would remarry to a man who had no list. This particular man, he, he wanted her to know day and night, no matter what, that he loved her. And the story goes on that this woman was cleaning one day, and she stumbled across one of those old lists from her first husband. She began to read those things, and she giggled. <laughs> she giggled because all the things on the list, she was now doing those things effortlessly. Compared to her first husband, she was doing them out of performance. This new relationship, it brought a sense of joy to this woman and to this entire household. I mean, what a story, right? I mean, y'all giggle. Um, it's definitely humorous. Now, I don't know if that story is true or not, but uh, I think it has a point for us. But can you relate? Can you relate to that woman being in that marriage and having to perform for the love of your husband? And maybe you may be thinking like, hey, Ortez, I know my marriage isn't perfect, but I don't walk around with a list for my husband or for my wife. Or you may be thinking, brother, I'm not married, so I really can't relate to this story. Well, before you tune me out, I want to challenge us to closely evaluate our relationship with God. Because, brothers and sisters, we've all mistakenly viewed God as this rigid spouse, this rigid husband, or this rigid father who has this to-do list of what to do or what not to do. And our love is contingent on our performance. You may be thinking to yourself at any given point in time, if I have a great day at work, I'm performing well. Of course God loves me. If I'm a great mom, a great dad, a great friend, a great student, of course he loves me more. But what about the days when you're struggling? What about the days it wasn't a good feeling of blame? Then we began to, to doubt God's love. But that is far from the truth of the gospel. And in John's epistle, he wants us, first prayers trend, he wants the church globally to be reminded of her identity in Christ as God's beloved. In fact, in 1 John, the word love is actually used over 46 times. It's an intentional thing. Why? Because love is the best motivator. And I want us to consider from our text, if, if we were to just boil it down to a main idea for this morning, if you don't hear anything else I say with my time with you, remember this, that it's God's redeeming love that motivates us towards a life of obedience. It's God's redeeming love that motivates us towards a life of obedience. And from our text, I, I want us to see three ways how God's love motivates us towards a life of obedience. The, the, the first way we can see in our text that God loves us is by transforming our hearts. We see that in verse 1. 
John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We need to be transformed first inwardly because the heart, if you will, it's the control center of our affections. But the Bible is very clear. If you live life any point of time, you know that by default, our heart's nature is hostile to God. It's rebellious to God. And so we need him to make us new inside out so that he can redirect our affections towards him and him alone. I mean, we can't truthfully please and love God apart from the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes I believe, and I'm speaking to myself first, so I didn't come here to beat y'all up first prayers training. But I believe we've all mistakenly have forgotten that it was God who initiated his love towards us first. I think about when I was in grade school growing up, and one of my highlights was recess. Um, and recess was just so exciting because you had the, the, the two-hand touch football on the black top, which that was a terrible idea because I came home with a lot of scrapes and cuts. Um, and then you had kickball. I love kickball. And I remember, this is very superficial, but I remember as a kid, I was one of the captains. And before we started, you would pick your team. So all the kids would line up, right? And so you would look at certain kids, if they were tall enough, they looked strong enough, if they were fast enough, or if the girl who I was crushing on, she happened to be in the line, I'd pick her just to be on my team. But it was all superficial. It was everything on the outside. It was everything they could do for me in order for me to achieve my goals to win a kickball game. But I think about in a much deeper way, our relationship with God is not about the external. It's not about what we can do for him. Because the Bible is very clear. We, we come bringing nothing to God but sin, unrighteousness, failure. But it's Christ who gives us everything by his grace. It is in Christ that he's given us new life and redemption in spite of the fact that we deserve eternal separation from him. Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin, what we earn because of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is so gracious to impute his perfect righteousness in us so that we can be called sons and daughters of God. If y'all still tracking with me, this is the foundation of our obedience. It's a response out of that eternal, unearned love, his grace, his forgiveness that we have received in Christ. God motivates us towards a lifestyle of obedience by transforming us first inwardly. But we also see in our text the second way that God motivates us towards obedience is by sustaining us with his word. Verse 3, John tells us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, John is reiterating, he's informing the church 
that God's love for us should be the primary motivator to obey his word. God has given us his eternal word so that we may know him. We can know him through creation. As the sister just said, looking at the globe, there's a lot to be learned about God through creation. But in a very unique and special way, God has given us his word that we may know him. And not just know him, how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Don't answer. Just answer your heart and your mind. You want to please God, right? So where do you start? You start with what he's given us, the blueprint, if you will. But this, is, this isn't easy, right? Because it requires a level of humility to surrender, to submit to his authoritative word. We're living in a time right now that God's word is being perceived as irrelevant. It's kind of outdated. All these different translators can't be trusted. And I'm sure some of you guys who are in elementary school, junior high or high school or even college, and some of you guys who are those who are working or retired, at every different level, there are people that we come across and what you're selling about Christ, they ain't behind. But regardless if they receive it or not, we know God's word is true, it's good, it's transformative. But all of that is true. But even John tells us that sometimes, brothers and sisters, we can view God's word as burdensome, weighty. I think about when I first got married to my wife, Ebony. She picked up on uh, a bad habit I had. A lot of bad habits, but I'm just sharing which I want. This is a habit that I had well before I married her, well before I met her. I didn't wear my seatbelt whenever I drove. And I remember we were uh, driving in the car, and she just kind of looked over at me as I was driving, right? And she said, Artez, why don't you ever wear your seatbelt? And I I responded with a very um, illogical uh, response. I said, Ebony, you know what? Sometimes it kind of, it hinders my swag. You know, you wear your seatbelt, you get that wrinkle right there in your shirt, you know. And for me, I really value my appearance probably on a whole different level than I should. And so growing up, I'm like, ah, I can't show up to a party or a date. And I got that wrinkle in my shirt from wearing my seatbelt. But guess what? Everyone buying it. She said, I hear what you're saying. But listen, I need you here. Your, your, your family, they need you here. And I looked at Ebony and I grabbed that seatbelt and I buckled myself in. And to this day, I always wear my seatbelt. This, brothers and sisters, it it speaks to the fact that sometimes we can view certain things as burdensome at the expense of our own preferences. In in, in other words, the seatbelt is supposed to sustain our lives. That's why it was created. And thank God, I was, thank God somebody, whoever was smart enough to create a seatbelt. But God has been so kind to us to give us his eternal word that has life-preserving benefits. How else are we supposed to obey God apart from his word? We need God's word. I know some of us probably grew up in the church. 
you guys are covenant kids. And thank God for that, that testimony. But let us not grow too familiar with the life-preserving benefits of God's word. We, we need God's word to become more godly. We need it for wisdom as leaders. We need the, the sword of the spirit in this spiritual war. We need it to speak life over the saved and the unsaved. So encouraging just to hear the list that was read of different people that you guys are praying for. I don't know how many people on that list were saved or unsaved, but I tell you what, it's a spiritual battle. And God has equipped us with some armory. He equipped us with his word, with his spirit to go to war on his behalf. And so if I can submit another question to you, brothers and sisters, what areas in your life that's become burdensome in light of submitting to God's word? What, may, what might God be speaking to you right now in your life, in your work, the different roles you find yourself occupying? What, what, what area is he speaking to you? He's saying, surrender. I'm giving you guidance. I'm giving you the way. I'm giving you my heart that I want to see you live out in this particular area. Be honest with that. It's okay to say, yeah, this seems burdensome. Yes, this seems very inconvenient. Process that with another brother or another sister. But ask God, God, even though I feel inconvenience, even though this seems confusing sometimes, but give me a heart that is willing to obey you. We've seen how God motivates us towards a life of obedience by first transforming our hearts. We've also just seen how God motivates us towards a lifestyle of obedience by sustaining us with his word. But lastly, brothers and sisters, I want us to see how God motivates us towards a lifestyle of obedience by declaring us victors in Christ. Victors in Christ. John concludes this thought that God's beloved obey his word. We, we, we build our life on the foundation of God's word. But he also he also talks about the blessing of God's beloved. He says, overcoming the world by faith. That's exciting. And the world in this, in this context is, is, is anything or anyone that might potentially hinder you from loving and living for God. It, it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the lust for achievements that, that draws our hearts away from God. Every single day, we are seduced by these things. They can be satisfying in a moment. But after a while, it leads to disappointment. It can lead us depressed. It can lead us isolated from community. And God is humbling us to to remind us that you were made for me, not those things or not those people. But it's a battle. And when we go through those particular seasons when we do find ourselves vulnerable, giving ourselves to the things 
of the world. We, we feel and we, we can relate to our brother Apostle Paul. Do you remember in Romans chapter 7 when Paul said, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this wretched body of death? But there is good news, brothers and sisters, and, and this good news, it comes in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, particularly around the word overcomes, which is used in original language. This, this word overcomes it's used in the past and the present active tense. Now, I'm not trying to flex on you guys because I went to seminary and I got an MDiv, right? But this is very important that we think about what is, what is God saying in the original language? It gets good if you track it. So this word overcomes is in the past and in the present active tense. In other words, in Christ. If you are in Christ, we have already overcome the world. And we are overcoming the world. And what a beautiful truth. What a beautiful truth. As we stand here, 2023, three years removed from a pandemic, we think about just the plight of our nation, an all-time high mental health crisis. You think about the various ailments we experience. The loss of love. Think about some of the violence that takes place. And I'm speaking primarily from Memphis. I'm sure you guys probably see the headlines. You think about the global church, not just the local church. Brothers and sisters are being persecuted. Their lives, their freedom is at stake because of their allegiance and their faith to God. And John is saying we are victors in Christ in spite of those things. And brothers and sisters, even those hardships, even those things that, that keep us up at night, even those things that, that cause frustration, that have us clenching our fists, God, why? Those things are not powerful enough to separate us from our identity as the church who are co-heirs with Christ, victors in Christ. Satan would not have the last word. That cancer diagnosis would not have the last word. That trauma you experience, the abuse from someone directly or indirectly would not have the last word. Christ would have the last word because he is the ultimate victory. And because we are unified with him, we too will reign with him. I know when we get to heaven, probably won't be a Spotify or a, Spotify or a Pandora playlist, right? Um, there will be no preferences in music uh, when we get to heaven. Uh, it's only going to be about Christ. So surely we'll sing some hymns, some, some contemporary, some gospel, some country, if any you guys like country music. Uh, all kinds of different genres, I'm pretty sure we'll be saying in heaven. But I hope when I get to heaven, there is one particular song on heaven's Spotify playlist. <laughs> and that song is by a brother named Ty Delaney. And I love this song because he does a, a great job of unpacking and, and exalting the victory that we have in Christ. I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read some of the lyrics if you don't mind. <laughs> 
And his song, it's called the anthem, which is ironic. We just sang a song called the anthem. He says in the chorus, hallelujah, you have won the victory. Hallelujah, you have won it all for me. Death cannot hold you down. You are the risen king. Seated in majesty, you are the risen king. By his stripes, we are healed. By his nail-pierced hands, we are free. By his blood, we're washed clean. Now we have the victory. Now, presently, we have the victory in Christ. Love is the best motivator for our obedience to God. As we think about that picture that we will see once we transition from this side of heaven to the other side of heaven. Until that time comes, until Christ calls you back, we can day by day commit our lives. Not to a list of duty, of do's and don't do's, but we can commit our lives to a relationship that's centered around love. God, take my whole life. Let it be consecrated unto thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you chose us first, even before the foundation of the world. Thank you that it was by the merits of Christ that we ever had a chance in relationship with you. God, I pray that this word would meet us exactly where we're at, that you encourage us, renew us, and refresh us. And that, God, that day by day, our obedience to you will be delightful. That, God, despite the different challenges and the trials that life throws at us, it doesn't change your love for us. It doesn't change your mission for your church. Thank you, Lord, for loving us first. And because of that, you've given us the privilege by your spirit to love you in return with all of our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen. amen.